This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Our passage this morning is going to be Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Good morning, everybody. Once... Once a pastor met with a man in his office, and this man was a husband, but at this time he was actively caught in a pattern of infidelity and sexual sin. And as the man sat in this pastor's office, the pastor pleaded with him to see the error of his ways. The pastor begged him to stop his sexual immorality, but the man was unresponsive and ambivalent. The man's smugness and unaffected attitude caused the pastor to grieve and finally plead with the man, please abandon your sin and repent. For if you don't, I have terrible fear for you. I fear that you may perish forever. I fear that your soul, if you don't repent, will perish in hell. And at this statement, the man cocked his head and replied with incredulity, you mean, that you mean to tell me that you believe that somebody can lose their salvation? This pastor just wept because you see, when we keep pets like bitterness or lust or greed or hate, when we nurture and feed our lusts, just enough to keep them coming back for more, we are in that moment in dark danger. We're in the dark danger of proving that we never knew the Lord at all. When your sin becomes something that you can live with, my friends, you're in a dangerous place. So let me... Let me pray for us and invite the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, we are weak and feeble people. The things we want to do, we can't. The things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves guilty of often. We have no hope unless you transform us from the inside out. So Spirit of the living God, would you come and work today? 
Would you move in this room, in the hearts of the people in this room? Would you awaken faith this morning? And would you make that faith strong? Would you awaken hope in your goodness and your power? And would you make that hope strong? Would you feel the, fill the people in this room with your goodness and glory and power that they might put to death the deeds of the body? I ask that you do that this morning through your eternal word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. My name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're here this morning. There's a, there's a prominent and consistent structure to these, next, or these six statements in the Sermon on the Mount. The six statements that Jesus makes in this section have a unique and consistent structure. He says, you have heard it said, but I say... You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not swear falsely, you shall perform to the Lord that which you swore. But I say to you, dot, dot, dot. The first thing I want to do this morning is to give us some instructions on the structure of what's going on. Jesus isn't saying, he isn't saying that he has a new law for us. He isn't saying the Ten Commandments say this, but I say something new and different That's not what he's doing at all. In fact, what he's saying is more like, you only said don't murder. You only said don't lie. You only said don't commit adultery. And you're completely missing the point. The purpose of the law is to expose our unrighteousness. In James, it says that if we break one commandment, that we break the entire law. Also notice notice Jesus' wording. He doesn't say, God said one thing, but I say something different. No, he says, you've heard it said from men of old. Jesus is not and never indicting the word of God from history, from the history of Israel. He's indicting the interpretation of the law by the scribes and the Pharisees. The holiest people of the day were making the law about our actions and not about our hearts. And that's what Jesus is naming and correcting, and he's doing it with full authority. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. Paul says the law is holy and righteous and good. But what we want to do is to keep the law of God merely about our actions. This this is the reason that the Pharisees add behaviors to the law to make it even longer. To make it even longer. This is why they tithe out of their spices Not because they were generous or because they loved God, but because they wanted to add boxes to their own holier-than-thou to-do lists. And before we scoff at this, we should recognize that we do this all the time. We do it all the time. When we feel self-righteous judgment creep up inside our hearts, that's because we've taken some action and made it a way to pat ourselves on the back. Let me, let me be explicit and clear here. We all have added to the law of God so that we can feel good about ourselves. We do this every time that we check a box of our own righteous deeds instead of lamenting our own selfish and immoral motivations. Sin pervades even our best obedience, and Jesus isn't adding to the law, but he's explaining to us what the law was always showing us. Last week, we talked about anger. 
You've heard it said that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You see what's happening? The Pharisees would say, if you murder, you're going to have to go to jail, so don't murder. But Jesus is saying, if you even have contempt for your brother, you're liable to hell, fire. The actions are harmful. The actions are bad, but it's the heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The actions are harmful, but our hearts are polluted. We can all put on a show by keeping our nose clean, but we can't fool the Lord. He sees everything. He sees all the way to the bottom. Every thought and intent is always exposed to God and always plain as day. And so now Jesus says to us, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body go into hell. In these six statements, Jesus is not making new antithetical claims. He is not saying that his way is opposed to the way that they have heard, but they have not, but they have not practiced a good, but what he is saying is that they have not practiced accurate application. As one scholar puts it, Jesus is actually doing exegesis of the law for us in this text. Jesus is doing exegesis, and exegesis is the critical explanation or interpretation of a text of Scripture. Jesus is providing right interpretation. Let me say it this way. Jesus is not, Jesus is not raising the bar of the law that existed in the Old Testament. He's explaining where the bar always was. That's what's going on in these next six statements. This is what we read throughout scriptures. Jesus is always after the heart. God is after the heart. God was always after the heart of his people. That's the first instruction that I want to help us with this morning. And then I also want to caution us because some interpreters will say that what Jesus is intending to do is to flatten all sins to being exactly the same. And that, that matters because to say that anger is identical with murder is incorrect. Or to say that lust is identical with adultery is a wrong way to understand this. Jesus isn't working to flatly equate every single sin, but he is emphasizing the flat playing field of all of our guilt. That's what's flattened in this moment. Sexual abuse against a child is worse than speaking harshly to your kids. Murder is more heinous than anger, but the point is, make no mistake, anger is heinous, and it will be punished. All sin breaks the entire law, James tells us, and conforming, conforming our outward actions to the law can never truly fulfill its demands, ever. If you hear one thing this morning, I want it to be this, God's after your heart. Getting the outside of the cup looking good is never enough for God. The medicine that God has for you goes, goes all the way down. And there's good news, friend. There, there is treatment for your cancer, but you've got to stop pretending that you're not sick. 
You have to stop faking it. You have to stop lying to your mom and dad. You have to stop hiding. It'll only hollow out your soul. Hiding and running and lying will scoop out all the substance from inside your soul and leave behind a brittle shell of a seared conscience. 1 Kings 8.61 says, Let your heart therefore be wholly true to, our, to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments. 1 Chronicles 28.9 says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And Psalm 26 says, Prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and mind. God's after the heart. The Bible says, rend your hearts and not merely your garments. The the Bible says, circumcise your hearts, Israel. And in Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20, God says, I'll give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I shall be their God. See, man looks at outward appearances, but God looks at our hearts. So here today, God's being so gracious to you and me. He's being so kind to you by telling you that lustful intent is the seed and species of adultery. He's bringing a kind word to us today by telling us that our lusts left to their own appetite will lead us into hell, all the way to hell. That's not a metaphor or a symbolic reality. Utter destruction is what lust leads to. So for the rest of my time this morning, I want us to ask the question, how do we obey this text? I just want us to ask, how do we obey this text? I don't don't want you to go to hell. I don't want your life to be decimated by lust. I don't want you to get divorced because your wife can't bear another disclosure. I don't want your sins to be repeated in your children. I don't want us to think for a second that we'll get away with anything because sin always kills. That's it. The wages of sin is death and the wages of this sin will kill your capacity for healthy intimacy It'll kill your wife, it'll kill your husband's heart, it'll kill your marriage, and it'll kill your soul in the end. Sin always kills, and this sin, sexual sin, is ravaging the souls of especially men, even in the church, through rampant use of things like pornography. It's everywhere. So how do we obey the instructions of Jesus in this text? We'll spend the remainder of our time focusing on three meditations. I've got two commands and an observation. I'm going to give one command from the scripture, one observation, and then I'll finish with another command. First, make a covenant with your eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes this morning. Second, lust is not what your eyes are for. It's not what they're for. And third, do whatever it takes. So, the first one. Make a covenant with your eyes. This comes from Job chapter 31 where he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully after a virgin. 
This first meditation is about preparation. It's about intent and planning. If you believe in the sinfulness of sin, you'll make a plan to avoid it. You will prepare yourself for evading it. How do we obey Jesus' words in this text? First, you make plans to obey his words. And that sounds obvious to us, but it isn't. It isn't. Your flesh has a plan. Let me do you a favor this morning and remind you that your flesh has a plan for your destruction. Satan, your enemies, have plans for your destruction. I guarantee you that. And there are men and women in this room that have plans right now in their hearts to disobey Jesus' words. We drift down paths of temptation until we get all the way to the point that our mind begins to actually devise evil. Instead of making a solemn promise with our own eyes to not look at another man's daughter or another man's wife, we use our ingenuity and our enterprising talents to find ways around accountability software. Brothers and sisters, in this church, I know that we use our minds to do things like rationalize our sin and sweep it under the rug. And my exhortation for us is to make a solemn commitment And then prepare, prepare to keep it. Plan for how you'll avoid temptation. Plan, plan for how you will keep yourself pure. Plan for how you will keep your eyes clean. Be intentional and proactive. This means not watching movies or shows that'll tempt you. This means that you make plans in your heart to avoid images that tempt you to break that commitment. And if you've never done this, don't worry, you can start right now. Good news, you can start today. You can start in this moment. Romans 13 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling, not in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make zero provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Think of temptation to lustful intent as a beast. A bloodthirsty, demonic, grotesque animal in a cage. An animal that's eager to devour your soul. And it's hungry for blood. It wants your life. It wants to see absolute destruction and mutilation. It wants to rip you to pieces. The next time your eyes are drawn or tempted to sinful lusts. And you go along just a little bit. Not all the way. But just part of the way. You're tossing scraps to a ferocious lion that wants to devour your soul, wants to devour your marriage, wants to devour your relationships. Our enemy is prowling. Do not throw him a bone. Don't do it. Starve it. Starve it. Starve lust to death. Plan to starve it. Make preparations in your mind and heart. Train yourself to look away, to flee. Don't dabble with death. Proverbs says it really concisely. Can a man hold a fire next to his chest and hope not to be burned? The answer is absolutely not. Never, ever make that covenant. Make plans to keep away from fire. It will burn you. It'll burn you. It always burns, and it burns worse than you understand. So make plans. Be proactive to stay away. 
The second scripture that I want us to meditate on is 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and 13, which says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality before the Lord and the Lord for the body. You see, your body was given to you by God and it has a purpose. Your eyes have a purpose. So glorify God with your eyes. Your body is meant for something. Your body is designed with meaning. Your eyes have a purpose. They're for something glorious and lusting is not what your eyes are for. Oh, the absolute damage that we do when we use what God has given us for sinful ends instead of what they are for. The eye is the lamp of the body, but when you poison it with defiling lusts, you destroy yourself. And something meant for joy and beauty is twisted into something deadly and demented. Listen to Romans 6. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Those who have been brought from death to life and and present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin and have become obedient from the heart to to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's a tragic thing to see something beautiful. It is a uniquely tragic thing to see something beautiful used for evil. It's a tragic thing to see something meant to behold beauty be used to butcher and to hate women. And make no mistake, there's nothing in our culture more hateful and hating of women than the normalizing and ubiquity of pornography. It's the very butchering of their souls that is vile and utterly wicked. And friends, that is not what your eyes are for. They're for something else. I'm going to read a quote from Pastor John Piper. Pornography is destructive to all people's souls. And... It is destructive for the soul's capacity to see God and the purity and the greatness of his glory is shriveled, is compromised. The soul tends to shrink to the size and and, and quality of its pleasures. A man may say to his soul, Adapt yourself now to this low, brief, unclean, selfish pleasure. Adapt yourself to this soul. Get yourself around this soul. Form yourself around this soul. And if he does, his soul will become that small. 
When a soul shrinks like that, it won't be able to make much of God. It won't be able to see God. It won't be able to delight in God anywhere like God should be delighted in, in the glorious pleasure that he offers us in his word and in his world. In light of this, we're in a dire situation. It's urgent, and our souls hang in the balance. Don't hesitate. Don't dabble. Confess and be healed. Flee from sexual immorality. This is the will of God for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It's not what your eyes were made for. They were made to behold something beautiful and glorious. Your eyes were meant to connect to the goodness and power and strength of the living God. That's what they're for. So do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Because make no mistake, your very soul's on the line. That's not an exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. Jesus isn't trying to scare you straight. He's giving you loving reality. The text says, if your right eye and your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out or cut it off. The emphasis here is obvious. Get proactive. Get aggressive. Get violent against your indwelling sin. In the time that Jesus gives this teaching, the crowd to the crowd that he's talking to are people who need their hands to make a living. They need their right hand to make a living. They're being told that it's better for you to sacrifice your living than to keep it as you slide into hell. The application is everywhere. Throw your phone, throw your iPhone into a lake. And if you object and say, I have to have my iPhone for my job, quit your job. Quit it. Cut off your internet. You can't manage your sin. You don't ration your sin. You kill it. You kill it. Listen to Romans 8.13. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. So I want to ask, like, do you want to live this morning? Do you want to live? Then kill the deeds of the flesh. Kill your sin. Slaughter slaughter your sin. Crucify your flesh. Do it. Do it so you don't die. There's a famous Puritan book called The Mortification of Sin. It's by a man named John Owen. I would commend all the works of the Puritans to all of you, but John Owen's little book I commend uh, strongly. It's a short treatise. It's 140 pages on this one verse. And one of his points is that sin can't be dormant by its very nature. It can't be neutral. That's not how sin works. You can't put your lust on pause. Sin is killing something or it's being killed by something. And that's it. Sin isn't tameable. It's not tameable. You can't domesticate your sinful passions. You can't neuter it. It'll kill you or you'll kill it. And there's not a third choice. Owen says it like this. There's not a day, but sin foils or is foiled. 
prevails or is prevailed upon. And it will be this way while we live in this world. Every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every covetous desire would be oppression if it could. Every thought of unbelief would be atheism if it could. Might it grow to its head. If you're not busy killing sin, sin will be busy killing you. So please allow me to elaborate. When sinful temptation comes, today we are focusing on lust, but any temptation will do. The moment that sinful temptation comes, there's a gap. Sometimes it's short and sometimes it is long. There's a gap between you turning your gaze or shutting your eyes or controlling your imagination to think of something else and the gap between that moment and the enticement and your efforts to get away, to get away physically, to get away visually, or to get away even in your mind's eye, or to get away in your heart and stop yourself from going down roads of bitterness or greed or anger. The gap between the enticement and what you decide to do isn't neutral. That whole time in that gap, your flesh and the devil have already mounted an assault. They've already made a hundred moves. They are actively scheming. They are actively strategizing. They are actively wiggling around and maneuvering and whispering in your ear to get you to take that opportunity for sin and dive into it headlong so that they can kill you. That's what it wants. The fight for your purity of heart doesn't start when you're one step away from sinning. By that time, the enemy's landed a hundred blows on you already in your mind and heart. If you want to keep your hands and if you want to keep your eye, you better cut something else off. Instantly, turn your gaze, shut your eyes, run away in your heart or in reality. At the moment of enticement, chop off the program of the enemy right then, right then, right then. Because the fight for your purity of heart is the fight to see God. It's the fight for joy. In my experience, the tragic thing about marriages that are ravaged by things like pornography and infidelity and lust is that all the energy to focus on the relationship is consumed by that sin. When this happens, the husband and wife have little freedom or room in their lives to wage war on other sins. They have little room or capacity or freedom to wage war on other weaknesses or sins in their marriage. They don't even get to repenting of anger or disrespect or selfishness or lack of love. They don't even get to those. They don't make movement to help their marriage go stronger or richer or deeper or fuller. And that's tragic because all the energy for the marriage is tied up and consumed by this other reality. It strangles the marriage. It strangles it and it threatens to consume everything. 
When you're fighting a forced, forest fire, you are not dreaming of building a cabin or creating a home. You're utterly distracted with pure survival. And marriages are neglected and they die on the vine. Your flesh and the devil hate you. Hate you. They hate you. They hate your marriage. Our enemy hates our faith, hates our sanctification, hates our growth, hates our confession and repentance and movement towards reconciliation, hates all of it. And this isn't a game. Eternal torment is the end of this. But honestly, I want to come clean with you this morning and say that I kind of misled you in the beginning because there's not only three points about this that I want to make, there's one more element to our meditation this morning before I move to close. I've already said thus far, first, make a covenant with your eyes, get proactive, do something. Second, lust isn't what your eyes are for. They're for something else more beautiful, more grand, more real than the phony images that we are offered. And then thirdly, I've said, do whatever it takes to cut yourself free from sins that entangle you. Only now I'll mention the most critical element this morning. Again, I want you to hear from our friend, John Owen. Mortification, which is his word for killing sin, Mortification from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention unto an end of self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. Mortification, doing what I've asked us to do this morning, doing what I've exhorted us to do this morning, if we only do it from self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention, unto an end of self-righteousness. That is only the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. If I was to exhort us to fight lustful intent at the neglect of describing the real means, that would be cruel and empty religion. That would be a weight on your shoulders. Because the truth is, is that you can't do any of that on your own. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not disciplined enough. Your heart's not pure enough. You can't do it on your own. If you belong to Christ, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. And the Holy Spirit is acting on your understanding. He's working on your will. He's working on your affections. He is working on your conscience. The flesh is at war with the spirit and the spirit is at war with the flesh. If you're caught in sin, don't harden your heart. If you're playing with sin, stop, stop. You won't get away without consequences. The fire always Burn. Stop now and receive God's mercy and grace. Open this book and eat it. Beg for help. Humble yourselves. Don't make peace with a hard heart. Don't make peace with a cold heart. Don't make peace with resignation. If you feel a twinge, even the tiniest movement of conviction this morning, do something about it. 
That's God's spirit leading you to clean, cold water instead of rotten, rancid offerings of the flesh. The spirit of God is your only hope. And if you know that you're committing sexual sin and you don't care this morning, then my heart aches for you. The pleasures of sin last for about a split second. And you know that. We all know that. We give in to temptation and it feels good for about five seconds. And then we feel guilty and gross and ugly and ashamed. For anybody who's indulging this morning, I'm not talking about people who are fighting, who are honestly fighting with all their might against their sin and for their joy. But for you that know that you've caved and given up, it is my duty as a minister of the gospel of Christ to remind you to remind all of us this morning that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing. And with regards to that warning from the book of Hebrews, I don't care if it's lust. I don't care if it's greed or envy or bitterness or anger or pride or haughtiness. If you find yourself this morning and you have given up and made peace with some sin in your life, if you've embraced any sin in your life that you can live with, then these words are the Holy Spirit's kindness to you. That means there's still hope. There's still time to turn and confess and repent and ask. Ask those who you've sinned against for forgiveness. If you find yourself harboring judgment or hatred or contempt or greed, whatever it is, If you live that way, you're going to die. But, but, if you, by the Spirit, put that sin to death, you'll live. Gouge it out and cut it off. It's better. It's so better. It's better. Jesus is loving us in this word today. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Everyone, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than than that your whole body be thrown away into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So don't wait. Don't wait for the moment of temptation. Make a plan right now. Prepare right now. Make a covenant with your eyes. Don't use them for your own destruction because that's not what eyes are for. That's not what eyes are for. The body is for God. Your eyes were given to you to see glory and goodness and the truest beauty. They aren't for that. You'll ruin them. You will ruin your eyes if that's how you use them. And you have to do whatever it takes because of what's at stake. Going into glory blind is better than taking your eyes with you into hell. Do whatever it takes to fight the battle over sin. Do whatever it takes to fight for your purity, to fight to see God. It is the same fight as the fight for your very own soul. And do that by the Spirit. This means yearn and pray. Groan and pray. 
and open your Bibles and pray and make plans and pray and fight and pray. The Spirit, the Spirit is the only hope you have. And oh, what a hope that is. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Confess, repent, and turn away again. And maybe it feels like the thousandth time. And I plead with you, don't give up. Ask again. Ask somebody to pray for you again. Move towards this thing in your life. We can only ever live the life of the Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the day that Christ was crucified and ripped to pieces, something else was ripped apart. The curtain in the temple was ripped apart and you were given the Holy Spirit in a different way than was in the past. And the Spirit of God was given to us and now flows through the people of God. And it's through the bloody cross of Christ that we can crucify our own flesh by that same Holy Spirit's power. And that's why it's fitting. It is fitting for us to end the service with communion. To remember Christ's broken body and to remember Christ's shed blood for our souls. The way we take communion here is we break a piece of bread off and we dip it into a cup. The stoneware cups have wine in them. The glassware has juice in them. There'll be two stations down here in front of me and there'll be a station in the balcony. There'll be another station over here to my left that has single serve communion that is also gluten free. In addition to that, we always have prayer ministers over here underneath the stained glass window who would love to pray for anybody for anything. They long to see the Spirit of God minister to our people to bring repentance and forgiveness for you to experience the loving embrace of a father who wants to see you um, whole. So I'm going to pray for us and the musicians are going to come back up and the servers are going to come up. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Risen Christ, thank you for your broken body. Risen Christ, thank you for your poured out blood on our behalf. Would you convict the proud this morning? Holy Spirit, would you comfort the despairing? Would you strengthen the weak? Convict us all and welcome us all again into your family, Father. I ask that people this morning would find freedom in your love and forgiveness and goodness and grace. Would you do that again this morning? We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come up whenever you are ready.